When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, indeed, indeed. Caravan Central official audio podcast number three. My name is Steve Witchell. I am your host, and I'm here with my buddy, Tony Barnard. What's up, Tony? Yo, what up? Tony B here. <laughs> How you doing, my friend? How you doing, Steve? I'm doing excellent. So we did not do a podcast last week. We had some scheduling conflicts and we're unable to do it, but we're going to try and stick to every week as much as we can, and I think we'll be able to do it most of the time, yes? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. If not weekly, then maybe bi-weekly or... Yes. We'll try. Semi-weekly or tri-weekly. Yes. I'd like to keep it weekly because things happen in a week, so uh, yeah, a lot, a lot to talk about with my stuff, but uh, you played too, right? Yeah, a lot of stuff happens in a week, you know? Yeah. What uh, what was your last gig? What did you do? I had a nice uh, outdoor private party. Weather's starting to change now, so you can get away with that. No rain, thankfully. Uh, always a good time. You know, always hijinks going on. But uh, it's great. It was a real, real nice time. Guy had a backyard party. Uh, had a, a, a ton of people. Had a pizza truck, which was really cool. Nice. We've got to tell that pizza uh, story, too, sometime. You remember the pizza Which story? Which one? The pizza, oh, the pizza story from the Oktoberfest? From the Oktoberfest party, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's, we got dedicated half an episode to that. But you had a pizza truck at this party? Pizza truck. They they come with a truck, and they make pizzas right on the truck, and they got a little server that comes out the side, and it's like a little table that pops out, and the guys whip up the pizzas, and they, they put them out on the little pedestals like you get if you go to a restaurant and get like a bar pie. Right. And they make all these different types of pizzas, you know, like cheese pies and, you know, uh, bacon chicken ranch and uh, bruschetta and, like, grandma's pie with just the mozzarella and the tomato sauce, like the big pieces of mozz on it, and really cool. Nice. And, and the, the cooler thing was the guy had a uh, a garbage can filled with grain alcohol punch. Oh, boy. Which by the second song of the second set, <laughs> someone had already plowed into and dumped three quarters, you know, 55 gallon garbage can filled with green alcohol punch, probably 45 gallons of which wound up on the ground all over the no. patio. Oh, no. Yeah, not, not good. How did that happen? Somebody just banged into yeah, it? Yeah, drunken people, like, you know, getting all stupid and dancing around and wrestling and, you know, two guys wrestling around, bumped into it and then dumped the whole thing. Wow. That's very... Actually, very cool to watch, though, as it, you know, onto the, onto the ground... The people that are in the closest vicinity that don't realize it's happening until the back of their legs are all wet and they're co- covered in green alcohol punch. And then, like, the wave, you know, as the people get further down, then they all start moving and it's like the blob coming across the patio. You know, it's just the green alcohol punch. And everyone's like, not me, because I was far enough in the back where it didn't affect me. 
but uh, everyone's like picking up their pedals and moving mic stands and it's like ah oh, come on and you gotta get on the mic and announce it like you know what's your name and the guy's his name said hey you know so and so just knocked over the green alcohol punch so go punch him Yeah, there the guy who was having the party could care less, man. He was all about just keep on playing until the cops come. Keep on playing until the cops come. That is <laughs> that is the definition of a party foul, though, right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Um, how about you? How, but you had, how, how well, you, I want to talk about more about this. You had, so you had food there. I, I love when you play gigs when there's food. It's just it, well, when there's food. You know, we've talked about it, yeah, a ton of times. Like you play, a, you know, a private party where someone's hired you to come play. You know, they they want you to be there. Obviously, they've they've either you've been recommended by somebody or they've solicited you off the internet or you know they've checked out your website or like you said, a lot of word of mouth. You know, we play a party and then someone else at that party you know right. wants to, you to play and they're getting your information. But the point being that you know they're not. They're bringing the people, right? So you don't have to worry about how many people you're bringing. There's no revenue to be created there. Uh, they have a, you know, this particular party had a private wait staff. You know, he had a, a full bar. He had two full bars with bartenders. And then he had some people walking around with cocktail trays with hors d'oeuvres and food on it. He had the pizza truck out in the driveway. He had the grain alcohol punch going. And then he had a whole spread of food, you know, six foot hero. Then he had all kinds of like sausage and peppers and uh, like penne with vodka sauce and like, uh, you know, cavatelle and broccoli and chicken franchise and like all sternos set up and, you know, couldn't couldn't have been nicer. You know, and that's the thing. Like you go, you're, you're really treated well. You know, make sure you guys eat. Make sure you have something to drink. This is Rose, the bartender. You know, Rose, this is Tony's with the band. And these are other people that are in the band with them. Make sure you take care of them. Whatever they need, you get them. Right. Uh, you know, and the guy is like very, very, very accommodating. You know, my house is your house. Whatever you guys want to do. Uh, you know, that's fine with me, wherever you want to set up. I thought you could set up over here, but if you prefer to set up over there, like whatever you think would be best, uh, it was nice. He had like an overhang on the back of, of his house with like a second story on it. So we're actually in like an underneath area right. back by the pool. So we were able to sell rain or shine. We would have been, you know, we've been set. Wow. But yeah, I mean, that's great. Food galore, drinks galore. I mean, you know, obviously we're driving home, so you can't be, you know, getting hammered. But right. we definitely had a, a couple of beers and and some nice food, and we were we were well taken care of. So I love those kind of gigs. It's funny because I'm sure you got paid well, and you don't have to reveal what you made or anything. But it, like I find, I, I was playing in a wedding band for a good part of last year, and you know the deal with weddings, you get to you get to eat at weddings. Usually, oh yeah. Um, the, we played one wedding where we weren't allowed to eat, which was kind of weird. Or we weren't allowed to eat the wedding food. They had a separate room for us with separate band food, <laughs> whatever. And it wasn't the same menu that the guests. No, were it was not as nice. It wow. was just like, you know, crappy finger sandwiches and and uh, whatever. But, um, but it's funny that you you know the, you get these good gigs where it pays well, like private parties or, or weddings. And then you get to eat and you get, like you said, you got treated really well. And it's interesting that that's, you know, the higher paying gig, the better you get treated. I guess, uh, I guess that makes sense. But um, yeah, the only thing I find with like weddings, you know, play plenty of them. Um, I played one about a month ago. I'll tell you, there was a quick little story about that one that was really interesting. But uh, aside from that, yeah, like most of the time at weddings, you know, if they make you sign the vendor sheet, or they consider you a vendor because you're paid, you know, for the evening, you're not allowed to drink. Like right. I've seen that more than on one occasion where the bartender is strictly instructed, like, you know, when you approach him, uh, he asks you if you're in the band, 
You know, and if you are, he'll say, I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to serve you because you're working. Right. Yeah, I've seen that, too. Most of the weddings I did, though, we were we were allowed to drink. Uh, but we just none of us would ever drink a lot, you know, one or two drinks maximum. Because um, wedding gigs are just you got to take it a lot more seriously than playing. Oh, yeah. No, I'd, I'd say eight out of ten weddings we, we can drink and they, you know, they have no no qualms about it. We don't abuse that, of course, but I'm sure there's, you know, like we've talked about in the past, even with bar gigs, there's certain individuals that probably can't control themselves and it could end up going bad, you know? Yeah. Especially at a wedding, like you said, or, you know, or uh, an event like that where you're being paid a, a, a very fair, you know, reasonable wage and you're expected, you know, it's a special day for somebody. It's not a bar gig. Right. Uh, you know, so you got to be on your A game. You can't be sloppy or slurring your words and, you know, you have to re- announce and do the emceeing and, you know, you got to be on. Yeah. Um, for me, it was like, because we would have, have to learn new songs for almost every wedding because, you know, the, they want a specific song for the, the bride and his father or her father. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, most of the time we would have to learn new songs. So, and I, I would chart out songs a lot for that band. Um, there were a lot of like uh, old standards that had a lot of different chord changes and stuff and uh, and moving bass lines where I, I had to really chart it out and, and uh, follow it because I wasn't playing it all the time. But uh, that's a lot of work. And yeah, like you said, you got to be in your A game. You can't be you can't be getting drunk and then and then trying to remember these songs that you just learned that actually have complicated arrangements. That's, uh, yeah, it's a recipe for disaster for sure. I mean, we've, we've used plenty of subs like for sax or horn sections, and you know, ninety percent of the time, those guys come with a book with cheat sheets or charts in it, or we've talked about before the gig what songs we're doing, and you know, the, the musicians have downloaded the charts, like you said, or charted it out themselves. You know, right. I also we've played with a guy who came with a binder basically full of notes and like a notebook within a notebook. Right. Um, you know, his ten year. Bible book, so to speak, of all his cheat sheets and all his obscure songs and things that he hand wrote and transcribed and, you know, very cool. Yeah, I, I like the act of charting it out myself. I think it re- it helps me to rem- remember the song. Uh, just kind of like if you write out your shopping list and then you forget your list at home, you, sh- you can usually remember it when you get to the store because you wrote it down. Um, so I, I always would like to chart songs myself and you know, just reinforce Yeah, them. I mean, you know... Th- a lot of time with students, especially younger ones, you know, that are playing a lot of covers and, just, you know, breaking into fills and starting to really, you know, get their wings on the on the kit, so to speak. Um, you know, don't guess at what the fill is. You know, you don't think it starts kind of here and I can, you know, you get a student with a really good ear and he can pick it up right away, you know, and he can he can find the, the, the start and stop and, and, and be on point with it. But uh, to your point about shorting it out. You know, if you really analyze a fill that you want to learn and, you know, you know it starts on the on the uh of three and carries over the bar line and ends on the four of the next measure, mm. you know, once once you've figured that out and charted it and counted it and figured out exactly where it lands, then it's a lot. You know, you own it. Like you said, you know, there's no mistaking where that fill is or how it lands or, you know, it could be anything, upbeat accent or a, a hi-hat accent. You know, if you're guessing where it is, you're, you're going to always be guessing. And then once you learn the song, you become more confident with it. But if you, from day one, understood that that's on the end of two and the E of four, you're always going to play it there and you, it's going to be solid because, you know, it's ingrained. It's like yeah, a muscle memory for your mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just reinforce that whole learning and, and the memory of it. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. Um, take an action. It's a good lesson for you kids out there. If you that's want. right. Listen to your teachers. Listen to your teachers. <laughs> and practice, 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 practice. 
Yeah. You know, I never really learned charting when I because I studied theory in uh, high school and then college. And the way I chart songs, I didn't really because I learned how to write out, you know, four part harmony pieces in high school. But I couldn't do it now. But um, the, the way I chart is very simple. I'll just put, you know, like four bars and a line and write the chord and the the, uh, the chord function, whether like if it's an A flat or um, if there's a seven in there, I'll, I'll put the seven. Um, but that's it. I just write the letter and the chord. And uh, then I can really kind of anything, any little intricacies there on the bass line, I can remember it just from having heard the song and, and practice the song. So I, I just I, I try to keep it as basic as possible with my charts as simple. And it's got to be on one sheet. Um, so sometimes I have to do it over and over. Like I have to actually chart it and then rewrite it again. And then sometimes even rewrite it again. So it's cleaner and, and, and uh, neater. So I'll actually be able to read my own writing. <laughs> yeah. And again, it depends on the part, right? I remember when, you know, years ago when we first, um, you know, we started doing some more intricate covers and, uh, late in the evening was one that we didn't know by Paul Simon with Steve Gadd on drums. And the pattern is, is very specific and unique, you know, and the, the groove he plays. Yeah. Is exactly that with, you know, That's and some serious you can, YouTube it, you can look thing. at it and you can figure it out, but for something like that, it would almost be like you not only writing out the notes, but the sticking, you know, it might be flam, right, left, left, right, left, uh, you know, and then depending where your hands are on the kit to get that, that groove, you know, no different than we spoke about, like, uh, don't stop believing, you know, right. a lot of drummers d don't play it right because they don't take the time to really analyze it and figure it out. You know, same thing with a lot of those, those songs, right. uh, especially if there's a drummer like Gad on it, you know, it, it's not going to be something that's easy to figure out unless you really listen to it and analyze it. Right. Then you got to practice playing it, you know, so it sounds natural. That was one thing like about Terry Bozio when he first started doing his solo drums, you know, he was playing such complex uh, rhythmic patterns that required such interdependence amongst his four limbs and his mind, but yet he played them with such feeling and soul and character that it felt natural. You know, it didn't feel like some pattern that he rehearsed at home for a hundred hours. Right. You know, he just became on autopilot and as he would say, got into that sacred space and the music just happened. You know, he just channeled it. Right. It's a great place. So yeah, very cool stuff. But one quick thing I wanted to say was back to what you said earlier about, you know, when you, when you play a wedding or a higher paying gig where the people really appreciate you being there. And I played a wedding like uh, about a month ago and it was a cancellation that had happened from about two years ago, you know, three weeks before the wedding, uh, a bride called up and said her mother was sick. She had to travel out of the country and she was going to have to cancel the wedding and they had already paid a deposit. Uh, and then like a year plus went by and then I get a phone call. Uh, and she said, you know, the wedding's back on, everything's okay. I don't know if you guys will honor my deposit. You know, we kept her deposit. We didn't spend it, but the contract would state, you know, you, you cancel uh, less than two months before you lose your deposit. This so, was three weeks so before. So her wanting to, to put the wedding back on, she would have to give another deposit and just you know, write off that other deposit. Yeah, correct. Okay. So we said in fairness, you know, as long as it's not May, June, September, you know, a busy wedding month where I know we're booked up already or we have a lot of, you know, other events or parties on the schedule. So long story short, they said, okay, we'll, we'll work around your schedule. So we said, if you want to do it in March, uh, we can accommodate you. So sure enough, they said, okay, we, we'd love to do it. And we said, we'll honor your deposit. Uh, 
because, you, you know, you, you're being flexible with when you can do it. So real long story short, we're at the gig. We get the wedding set up, sound check. Everything's great. We're allowed to drink. So I'm online at the bar. There's an older gentleman in front of me with his wife, and that she's ordering a Rob Roy with all kinds of special uh, things like two cherries and a little bit of bitters and four ice cubes and only a splash of this. And so the guy turns to me, he says, I'm really sorry. You know, my wife's holding up the line here. I know you got, you want to, you know, you get your drink, but, uh, anyway, how you doing? My name is Ed. And I introduced myself to him and he says, how do you know the, the bride and groom, you know, who, who you're friends with? And I said, well, I'm in the band actually. And he said, Oh, had, you know, had, had that come about? Had they find you? So I told him the story. I said, you know, they found us online, and they gave us a deposit, and then the mother-in-law got sick, and the guy got all choked up, and he said, you know, I want to thank you. He said, because that's my nephew, my brother's son. He said, and you guys are the only vendor that held their deposit. They lost their security deposit for the hall. They lost their deposit for the photographer. They lost their deposit for the flowers. They lost a bunch of caterer, everything that they had put money down on. And, you know, it's a business. And he said, I realize, and I understand that it's a business. And, you know, if the date's not available and you, you know, you can't hold the date, but it, it was really honorable of you guys to do that. And thank you. So he said, you know, no problem. It's the right thing to do. Right. Well, end of the, end of the night comes and here comes the father of the, the groom, and he comes up to me. He says, you know, I talked to my brother, Ed, and I didn't realize that all the stuff had transpired. And he said, I really, you know, really appreciate that you honored their deposit and, and did the right thing because they, they paid for the wedding, a lot of it themselves. Um, and he said, and so, you know, thank you very much. And he had a $500 tip. Wow. There you go. That's you know, and for no other reason than you. he just was appreciative of us doing the right thing and you know, just goes to show you, if you do the right thing in whatever you do in life, it always comes back to you, no matter yeah. what. Yeah, totally, man. Good for you. I, I talk a lot about that type of integrity in, in the articles I've written and stuff. And to be quite honest, I've learned a lot of those things from making mistakes and doing things wrong. Some of them I've learned from watching other people make mistakes and seeing what they do wrong, because some things are just, you know, are or natural as far as my personal integrity would be concerned. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, you just, you approach every aspect of being in a band or playing in public with that kind of integrity where, you know, you're trying to be the good person and do the right thing all the time. And it comes back to you. You get, you get work from it. You make, make friends. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it it bodes for a, a long career in music and for yourself and for your band. Like you guys have been playing for a long time now um, in in one incarnation or another. Um, you know. Yeah, well, the the lineup we have right now, Steve, to your point, is almost 10 years with the same, same five people, same solid five musicians, you know, and right. it becomes like a machine because you've played with the same people for so long and you know you become friends like a band of brothers you know yeah and uh you you know what the next person's going to do and it's comfortable and you, you know everyone knows what everyone else is capable of doing and where, what they're going to play and where they're going to play and you know that's when those magic nuances happen where you just decide to you know put a bass drum in a, uh you know the accent after four and the bass player catches it with you because he felt it and you know you've done it before and he right. he remembered it you know we should mention, because we have not done that, we should mention your band, the Weisenheimers, and um, I, I don't know what your website is. Do you? Yes, the Weisenheimers.com. Is it the Weisenheimers.com? 
Yes, and it's W-I-S-E-N-H-E-I-M-E-R-S. But if you type in, like, uh, Weisenheimer's New Jersey uh, cover band or party band, wedding band, it comes up. We've got videos on the website. We've got a party party mix, uh, wedding mix. Um, but, yeah, check it out. Yeah, you guys are great. Weisenheimer's.com. Thanks for that plug. Steve. Yeah, man. Thanks. Um, obviously, I know you guys well. I used to play in a band with... Um, most of those members, I would say, it, because it's you, Steve, and Jim, um, and it obviously wasn't uh, Kel, and your your singer. Um, yeah, we've had several incarnations. Like I said, um, you know, we had we were a four piece, and then you were on board for a while as a four piece, and then we became a five piece. We had a girl singer, right. uh, Kelly, was in, in the band for a couple of years. You know, she's great great girl great singer and then she you know got married and wanted to start a family so she moved on and then we have our new singer uh well new 10 years ago new uh shuli right. uh who's just fantastic you know so we yeah, have you know great, girl right? fronted rock band and she can cover just about anything so yeah she's great i mean i'm sure you guys are firing on all cylinders now because you were great back then so uh oh, thanks man when i played with you but uh, that's, you know, that's something, dude, that I, I kind of miss playing in New Orleans because I, I have the advantage of I'm playing so often. I play five nights a week and I play with a lot of the same people a lot of the time. So we do get that sort of same uh, advantage of, of what you have had for the last 10 years in a concentrated amount of time because we're playing so often. But the players are it's it's rarely the same players every night. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, for instance, in the band I play during the week at the swamp, uh, the guitar players alternate each week. So it's a different guitar player each week. And then there's, um, one singer that only sings one night. And then, uh, you know, when I'm not there, there's another bass player. So it's, it's rare that it's two nights in a row of the same lineup. Um, and, that really has its advantages, obviously, especially if you're playing the same songs, basically, because you can, you, you you get to that magic place where you're 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 going beyond the, just the playing of the song, and you're really doing it with this um, this machine that you've built, and and there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more flexibility for improvisation and for emotion and and for everything um, spontaneous that comes up, which happens a lot in New Orleans with because we interact with the crowd so much. Uh, but I do miss that, like, because you guys rehearse, and I never rehearse. I've, I've never had a re in almost seven years being in here I, in New Orleans. I've never had a band rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, to, to your point, we probably have two hundred plus songs in the repertoire. You know, we don't play every one of them, but we could, right. and we only rehearse to learn new songs. You know, like we don't rehearse to right. go over songs, you know, even well, if we haven't played point. in a couple of weeks, it's still, you know, everyone's still right there. Even if we haven't played in a month, we'll say on a long stretch, you know, everyone's still there. But if we're doing a song like uh, something that's arranged, you know, like we just we just did, uh, we learned for the wedding time of my life, you know, great tune. I mean, people love to dance to it, but it's, a, it's an intricate arrangement. And same thing, those guys charted it and, you know, downloaded some tab and was able to, you know, to go through it. So we rehearsed that. Uh, you know, to get it together. And a lot of times we'll have a, a, a vocal rehearsal just if it's, you know, a multiple harmonies or, you know, just to figure out where everyone's going to sing and be in the right placement. But, you know, I got a friend of mine that plays in a, a professional wedding band every weekend. You know, he plays Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every weekend. 
uh, you know, of the year. So it's, you know, he's playing 150 gigs a year. And uh, same thing, like anything that's new on the radio, you're expected to show up at the gig and be ready to play it and yeah. know your harmony and be able to sing it. But, you know, they're professional full-time players, so they can do that, you know. But if you're showing up at the gig and, you know, when Uptown Funk first came out, you know, it's like we're doing Uptown Funk uh, Uptown Funk Saturday night at the wedding. Be ready to do it, and let's have a quick conversation about who's singing what parts. And then maybe he said, you know, while they're eating dinner or something or before the gig, they'll just go through it quick, you know, just to, to figure out who's doing what, and then just get up and play it. But they never never rehearsed it or, or sat down and, and collectively worked on it, you know. Right. I like that you, we were able to get to that place too, where we're you're playing with players that are all good enough to do that, learn their parts, learn them right, show up at the gig and play the song right, and then, like you said, just have little conversations about, okay, you're singing this part, I'm singing this part, and uh, you know maybe a talk about the ending too, if if you need to. But um, that's a nice place to be, and after playing for so long, you know, you and I both. Um, it's it's something that a uh, place you get to inevitably. You work with professionals, become professional, work with with professionals. Yeah, and like and you know, like we've spoken about in the past too. When, when you when you're at that level of playing, um, and it, when you're playing with the band, it's like virtual reality because you're not thinking about anything else except what's happening in that very moment. You know, you're not thinking about. You know, writing that check for your phone bill. You're not thinking about, you know, did I lock my car? You're not thinking about what you have to do tomorrow. You're not thinking about grocery list. You know what I mean? You're you're in the moment, and that's that sacred space that you know, like I said, that Bozio used to speak about. Is you get to that place where you're not thinking about anything. You know, you're just channeling the music, and you're with, you know, other people on stage that are doing the same thing, and you're in that moment, and. You know, as a musician, you know, that that's something that we're blessed to be able to experience because if you don't play an instrument, you don't know what it's like to be there. You know, when you're in that mix with all the instruments and it's firing on all cylinders and everyone's playing their part and you're making music, you know, it's it's magical. And like I said, yeah. unless you've experienced it and been there, it's it's very hard to describe that euphoric type of feeling where it's just it's effortless and, you know, things just flow and like you said, Steve, it's not every night, you know, for sure. But there are those right. magic nights where you can do nothing wrong. And then there's those also <laughs> awesomely magical nights where nothing seems to go right. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're Yeah. It's about being present. Um, and it, it do, you're right. It doesn't happen all the time. I, but I know it's a choice, too. And I even kind of experienced it last night playing at the swamp. Um, um, there was a point like I, I was maybe just bugged by a couple little minor things. You know, you play at the same venue several nights a week for now. I've been doing it for two and a half years, almost three years. Um, th there are certain things you get used to. You get, you get in that comfortable place where you can, you, you end up starting nitpicking things and whatever. And I can't really even remember anything specific from last night, but just, I, I was, I know I wasn't being present. And then there was a point, we started playing and we were playing some song that I just really love to play. And I can't even tell you what it was now, but a lot of the songs I love to play. And I just, I got stood right next to Sean, the drummer. And I play on a really small stage at the swamp. You've been there. And, um, oh, yeah. my, my amp is right behind me. It's a, a four ten cabinet. And, um, I'm playing a Fender precision, uh, four string bass. And, um, sometimes if I get in that, find that little sweet spot on the stage, 
where it just sounds really good. And it's usually when I'm standing right next to Sean where I can, I can really kind of feel his kick drum and um, I can really hear my tone really well and uh, nothing's in my way or whatever. And um, I just, I did it last night. I just said, okay, this sounds really good. I'm just going to be in this moment now and keep doing that. And that feeling really lasted for the rest of the night. Once I got into that space, um, everything just sounded really good. The vocals sounded really good. Um, Tracy, our singer, took some video and posted it um, a little while ago uh, of a, just a clip of one of the songs. Um, but yeah, dude, that's, I think that's why we do this, isn't it? To, to, f- to keep chasing that feeling, right? Yeah. And to your point, you know, if it sounds great and it sounds really good, you're going to enjoy it and you're going to get pulled into that little microcosmic, you know, uh, zone where you, you feel, you know, there's nothing worse than like if you're playing on a set of drums, at least for me, and they're really killed. You know, some people just don't treat their drums good or maybe it's a house kit and the heads haven't been changed in like four years. You know, they sound like cardboard boxes, but, you know, they throw a mic in the bass drum and you get a good thump and hit the snare loud. And the toms usually don't, you know, don't cut because they're they're muffled or they're taped or they're just beat up, you know. But I will tell you this. So I've always, you know, I've always been a big advocate of making sure that the drums sound great, you know, like I always tune them properly for the venue. I muffle them a little bit if we need, if the room's real echoey, but I always take great pride in, you know, having a fat, good, professional drum sound and the drums sounding really good where I enjoy playing them. So about a year ago, I did an experiment and I I took my my good, best headphones I had. They were, you know, like... uh sport beats in ears you know i plugged them in I, I took the feed out of my board i took a feed from the main board and long story short i used my mixer and i made myself a custom mix i was able to put anything i want i could adjust the volume of the vocals i could adjust if i want effects on the vocals i could put effects on my drums and let me tell you once you get that mix right and you have that little bit of reverb on your instrument and it's EQ'd and the bass sounds great and the singer's vocals are nice and strong and everyone's vocals at the same level and I get the keyboard and the guitar and it's all mixed in. I mean, talk about a super enjoyable, inspiring experience. I mean, you instantly, it becomes like, wow, you know? You just hear everything crystal clear and it sounds like a recording. When you start playing and it sounds like that, I mean, you're you, you're excited to play, you know. I mean, you can't wait to to get up and play because it just sounds so good. And like yeah. you said, we've all been there where you play on a stage and just no matter where you stand or move or no matter what you do, it just does not sound good. And that can be very uninspiring, you know, for a musician if you can't hear yourself, if the singer can't hear themselves in the monitor, if if the drums are too loud, like if the guy's just bashing away and has no dynamics, you know, it's just it's just crushing you. But as soon as you can get that mix to where it's nice and fat and it sounds really good, I mean, what a difference, you know, in, in your personal approach to playing and just your overall inspiration of, of wanting to play, you know, and getting into that zone. It's a lot easier when it sounds great as opposed yeah. to when you're struggling to try and find a reason. But like you said, you can find it anywhere, you know? Yeah, big time. But it's nice having the headphones. I I, I mean, when you're talking about that, that reminds me of of the feeling I get using in-ears and anybody out there that's that listens to this and hasn't tried in-ears yet for your live performances I highly recommend it I, it takes a little bit of getting used to but when you get that great mix like Tony's just talking about um, 
it's there's nothing better because it makes you so inspired to play. I think I play so much better. I mean, I think everybody probably plays so much better when it sounds better to them. But if you have that control over it where you can actually make it sound exactly how you want it to, to me it feels like playing like I did when I was a kid, just playing along with records. Um, I'm playing my bass and I'm hearing the recording. You just mentioned that about a recording, and it's I I want it to sound like that. Like I want to hear the guitar. I want to feel that kick drum. I want to, the vocals to be up front, um, so it sounds like a record to me. So I'm I'm just jamming along with the record when it's really I'm jamming along with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, and for you know for a singer, it's absolutely you know night and day. Yeah, like, what what a huge step because you can hear everything and it's crystal clear you know yeah. so you know to that point we just sold a bunch of gear and we bought a new mixer we got a uh the behringer uh and then we're we're going we're making the leap everyone's going to go to in-ears and we're all going to mix off of the app you know that's comes with the right. mixer right. and you can cool. basically mix your monitor mix to your headphones through your on your your, I, your your iphone yeah uh the behringer's actually has an android platform as well or an ipad um, so you don't have to bring, you know, it's really getting, the technology is getting to be weird. It's super affordable and you can get yeah. a great pair of in-ears, you know, for five, 600 bucks, you can get a really good pair for like 800, you know, but once you've bought them, you don't have to buy them again. You know, it's like buying a, a good microphone. It'll last you as long as you take care of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, uh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The digital stuff, um, they, uh, down here, a lot of the sound men will just mix everything on their iPad. Uh, um, it's all just all digital board, and and you can he can have, he can just walk up to the stage and you can say I need a little more vocal in my monitor, and he's got the iPad right up there, and he can just he's standing right next to you rather than halfway across the room, and you having to use a talkback mic and all that stuff. Um, that's really made it easier, man. Technology has has done wonders for live performances, I think. Oh yeah, I mean I can remember playing, and you know the. They were only going to put, say, the kick drum through the PA, but I would still mic everything and bring my mixer, you know. So I bought uh, a Simmons electronic drum amp that had, you know, uh, four speakers in it and a, a down-firing 12-inch subwoofer. And I bought it specifically for the reason of I used to put my vocals through it, you know, and I could hear it. But if I mic'd up the kit and I put it through that little monitor – you know, it's like 300 watts, 350 watts it puts out. Instantly, you know, I could have an 18-inch kick drum that sounds fat in the PA, but on stage the bass player would be saying to me, hey, I really can't hear your kick drum work. You know, could you bring the big kick because it, it, it's fatter. I can hear it better. As soon as I fire up that little monitor, I mean, it sounds like the, the, it, the drum is going through a PA, even though it's only coming out of this one speaker, but the kick drum instantly is like hitting you in the chest if you're on the stage. So I use that for a while. Uh, which was great, but again, it amplified the drum volume, overall drum volume on the stage. So this new uh, going to the in-ear thing, is, is, it's exciting and it's different. And uh, to your point, it's like laying alone to a record, but you can hear everything and you can mix it how you want it. Um, you know, and if you have all of the mics and everything in your headphones, it picks up the ambient noise of the crowd and, and right. some of the, the stage noise too, you know, so yeah. it's not like, playing along just to a CD, you do get some, you know, some live, because uh, you don't want to get pulled into where you, you lose that interaction with everyone in the band, you know? Right, right. Um, I, You know, I'll sometimes 
pull my inners out just so I can hear the room and, and hear the difference. And the major difference is really there's just so much more white noise, and not only because I'm standing next to the drums with the cymbals, but just sort of the white noise of the room um, that you don't get with the in-ears in. And you can, like you said, you could still hear that sort of ambient sound that's going on in the room, but you don't have all that high sort of hissy thing going on um, in your in-ears. In so, uh, yeah, that's that's a big difference. And, I mean, it's great for your hearing, too. You know, you can control the volume, so it's, if you want to protect your hearing a little more, use in-ears. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And like I said, just the clarity, it's a whole different experience, but um, it's a big step to take, you know, for everyone in the band to go to in-ears who previously did not have in-ears. Um, you know, I, it's a little bit different. You know, I, I did it primarily because uh, it would, A, block out some of the stage sound, you know, the volume, uh, right. with the, the isolation of the headphones, but the crystal, the, the, the clarity of the vocal for a monitor you know, like when I'm singing, it's it's unbelievable. Plus, you can put whatever effects you want on it, you know. So if you want to put chorus and you want to make it sound like real fat and wet, it may not sound like that in the PA, but it sounds like that in your, your ears, you know. And you can, you know, you just do it yourself at home as an experiment. You know, if you're a singer, you sing into that mic and it's butt dry with no EQ. It's just flat, no reverb, no nothing. Then wet it up a little bit, put some effects on it, you know? Same thing. You instantly become inspired to sing differently and better because it sounds so good, you know? When right. you sing on a, you know, flat EQ, no effects, um, you know, after a couple of tunes, it starts to become a little stale. Like, it doesn't sound good, you know? Right. I like uh, I like my vocals to be very low in my in-ears because I can, I can hear myself in my head with the in-ears because it's akin to having earplugs in, um, so I don't I don't like yeah. my vocals screaming. I like them actually very low, um, so I can hear a good mix of everybody's vocals when we're singing harmonies and stuff. I like to hear that, but full sound. Oh yeah, and when you have the in ears in, you can hear everybody crystal clear. You can you can hear if someone's a little off or someone's sharp, you know, right away. Yeah, yeah. but sometimes I definitely opt for the room too because there's, there's good, a good stuff man, in the ears. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go back to the just hearing the room for a little while, but um, but it's nice to have that choice too. And uh, it takes a while, yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to hearing what you got, what you have to say after you guys get used to it. Um, it does take a while to really get accustomed to um, that sort of way of doing things. But um, I'm well, sure you guys. Next will, month will be will interesting like... because we have back-to-back -back gigs almost every weekend, and we're going to use all the new stuff so we're, oh, good. Good, good. we're going to find out how how good or bad it works very shortly <laughs> cool very good so uh yeah i mean we didn't have really a major major topics to talk about but i guess i should uh give you updates on stuff going on here um and you know last time i talked yeah, to what's you going on? two weeks ago i've played uh you know like 11 gigs <laughs> so it's hard to really remember all of them um but um the major thing that's going on i'll tell you this um the band i play with on the weekend it's called esplanade play crazy corner on bourbon street and we have two singers in that band and it's a six-piece band there's uh drums and bass and guitar and keyboards and then two singers and one of the singers was uh let go um last week oh. 
and we planned Friday and Saturday, and he did Friday, and then he was let go, and uh, Saturday he did not perform with us. And this is, yeah, not this past weekend, but the prior weekend. Um, so we ended up doing um, doing the night, Saturday night, with one singer, and I sang a bunch more, and the keyboard player sang a couple, the guitar player sang a couple. So we were able to get through the night just fine. But we still do want to have two people, two front men or front people anyway, um, because it's such a long night and because it's such a big crowd and stuff changes all the time. We go out with the tip bucket, blah, blah, blah. We kind of need two singers. Um, but he was let go because he was just not cutting it. He he uh, was given plenty of chances. <laughs> he has plenty of warning, plenty of advice, and he just didn't take it and didn't do anything about it, so he was let go. So um, there's this other guy who I met in New Jersey um, probably about 10 years ago. And I met him, I went on an audition for, I was looking for work, and I went on, like, just answered a classified ad, went on an audition, and I met this guy, um, his name's Jim, he's a singer, and um, he, I thought he was good, and I thought the band was terrible. Um, so uh, we ended up staying in touch, we hooked up on MySpace, this is how, how long ago it was, so might it have been even more than 10 years. Um, and then we stayed in touch through Facebook and blah, blah, blah. And he came to visit New Orleans a couple of years ago. Um, and he's been in other bands. And uh, he recently contacted me, said uh, he was in Florida. And he was saying, I, I'm thinking about moving to New Orleans. And is there a possibility of, of me getting some work? And it just so happened that a, another friend's band of mine needed a singer. And uh, so I hooked them two up, the band and Jim. And uh, he ended up getting the job. And working for the last few months and um, went okay, but he had a, a it was a tall order for to to uh, fill the shoes of the singer that left that band, and that band uh, plays three nights a week and they play about eight or nine sets a night, so it's a long night and you got to have some you got to yeah, have busy stamina to, as a singer to go through a night like that and sing Journey. Uh, and sing Toto and, and, and all that stuff that's that's taxing on your, your voice. So he And he was going through a sickness, too, so uh, like bronchitis or something, so he was struggling a little bit with it. So um, what ended up happening was the old singer came back for his visit and subbed um, a, a couple weeks ago, and, and then Jim contact, contacted me and said, um, I need some work. Um, can you help me out? So I told him to come to the Swamp, which is my other gig, and just meet the band leader, come up and jam. I think you have an opportunity in this band as well, because that band was also going through a singer change where uh, the band leader, Sean, wanted to uh, wanted to make a change. So I said, come here. And he ended up coming to there and getting up and singing a couple songs and getting the gig right there. He was hired for the next night. Um and then he ended up subbing with us this past weekend at Crazy Corner to because uh, we still haven't filled that vacated spot of the guy that we let go. So he's working 12 nights in a row singing here in New Orleans. And the reason I want to mention this, that's crazy, right? I mean, that's just, that's a lot for anybody, any any musician, no matter what you're playing, but especially a singer. Um, but I, I can't emphasize enough about New Orleans, Louisiana. 
as a musician, if if you want a job to play music for a living and you can, come here. If you're good at what you do, you're a cool person, you will get work because there's always a place for good musicians here to get work. There's always there's always bands looking for players, singers, whatever. It's it's constant. Um, and it's it's amazing, wonderful thing and place to be for any musician. So anybody in the world, you want to if if you have a dream to play music for a living, just come to New Orleans. <laughs> There's no place like it in the world that I know of, anyway. Do you? No, that that's for sure. It's definitely a unique place, and like you said, it's, it's you know it's bustling with great players. But to your point, you know if you're a good person, right? Like we talked about. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I think on the first podcast, you know, about being respectful and, and being appreciative of what you have and, and, and bringing your A game and being present and, you know, contributing and adding value, you know, and, and you're a good player or a great player for that matter. You know, your attitude will, will take you way beyond what your talent can. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely players that aren't that good that get a lot of work just because they're cool people and they're they're easy to work with. Yeah, and that's the time. key. I mean, think about anything in life, right? You'd rather work or uh, hang out or associate with people that you want to hang out with, you know? You don't right. want to be forced into something. And, and, you know, as we all know, a, a band is like a family, you know? And if there's turmoil, something's got to change or it's going to translate, you know, in the performance. And the tensions that, that do exist, if they if they are there, are, are going to definitely be, you know, noticeable to other people that are that are watching the band, especially the crowd. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The crowd will notice. Uh, we're in a very interactive crowd environment here in New Orleans, which really helps um, us in general to keep people, because people can come and go as they please. There's no cover charge. You can walk outside with alcohol. Um, so it's important. That's a, an important aspect of this. And, and this guy, Jim, he, he's really good at it. Um, I'm really ha- happy with uh, the job he's done, and he's really stoked to be here doing it. Anybody, man, anybody, if you're good at what you do, man, you could you could do it here. I did it. <laughs> yeah, you sure did, man. I mean, you know, you made the commitment, and, and look how, how, you know, fruitful it's been for you. And think of all the great relationships you've made and the great musicians you've gotten to play with and just the exposure to that environment. I mean, you know, to your point, you know, you got to keep the crowd engaged because there's 20 other bands within listening <laughs> vicinity, you know, oh, yeah. that are all Across playing around you. It just so they, can go, they can go anywhere. Ten paces away, you can listen to another band. Yeah. I'm amazed at how they're able to contain a lot of the sound, you know, from the bar across the street, say, from the swamp, you know? You think it's really contained? Well, I mean, if you walk up the street, certain places are definitely louder than others, but I notice, like, Crazy Corner, you know, when the door's closed, it's not blaringly, obnoxiously loud. The place across the street from the swamp has that, like, removable glass partition behind the drummer, so it's like open air. So you definitely hear his, you know, high-tuned piccolo snare cutting through everything. I was was walking to my car last night, and I went to a block uh, by uh, the club's famous door. And I was at that block, and then I was walking away from Bourbon Street towards my car. And I was almost a block away, and I could still hear the song they were playing, and I could still <laughs> with it. And I was like, damn, that's loud, man. If I could hear it a block away and still hear exactly what the dude is singing. That's but that's loud. also at the end of the night, right? That's like a lot of the it places are closed at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, and 
in that area where I was, there were no other clubs playing music right. that were competing with that sound. So that yeah, that was the only one I could actually hear. Um, but uh, it, it gets pretty loud here, man. It really does, uh, especially when there's bands acro- right across the street from each other. It's uh, it's pretty loud. We had an issue with that here a few years ago with a sound ordinance thing. Some people were suing clubs, and uh, it was it was a big mess. And we, that's why we actually went to the in ears at Crazy Corner. Um, because we were no longer allowed to have amps on stage. And that's still kind of in place, although I, I believe I could go in there with an amp now and be fine because um, it's kind of died down. But um, we had to switch to no amps on stage, and we had the, the fishbowl glass part, uh, thing, plexiglass thing around the drum set. Um, and so so the and we had to really keep um, our, our volumes low, the PA volume low. Um, and we had to use in-ears. We all had to get used to it. And, and everybody at, at first was very resistant to it because it was like we were being forced into this, no, you can't play real music on the stage. You have to play like a CD. <laughs> yeah, People exactly. were pissed. People were pissed about it. And uh, and uh, I, I remember the band that was there at the time was like, you know, F this. We don't want to do this. Um, it was a It was a big deal. It was a really big deal here in town. There was like, you know, all sorts of news about it all the time. Um, but and they used to go out with the, the sound meter um, every night out in the middle of oh, the street, yeah. to make sure we weren't, um, you know, surpassing like ninety six decibels or something ridiculous. Um, so, um, but that's all kind of changed now. So everybody's just kind of cranked it back up, which is cool. I like it. I like it loud, man. I still like it loud. I enjoy playing loud too. Yeah. But there's a lot to be said for playing quiet, too. It's very hard to do, you know, to play quiet with intensity as opposed to just playing loud with intensity, which is, you know, the common. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, cer- there's certain amounts, uh, there's certain aspects of the volume that we have no control over, especially Crazy Corner, because we're still using in-ear- in-ears. And I, I go into a direct box from my bass to a direct box, which goes to the PA. That's it. So I have no vo- control over the volume other than the volume knobs on my bass which I always keep all the way open anyway. So uh, it's up to the PA. Some, sometimes we've had instances even recently too where people were leaving because they were like, it's too loud. So we had to just tell the, the uh, sound man, you got to bring everything down. And uh, yeah. And once he did, everything was fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, when the sound is too loud, it, it paralyzes the crowd. You know, they can't enjoy it. They're just like a, a wall of, of just sound. You know, I mean, remember like going to concerts as a young as a young kid and, you know, every time you would leave, if you forgot to bring earplugs with you, your ears were ringing, you know, and it was it was deafeningly loud. And I will tell you that in the past, say, five years that I've been going to shows, it's there's been a huge shift in that volume where at least you know the venues like uh, I was at the uh Prudential Center not too long ago and and uh one of the shows I saw there was Muse and they were great you know and it wasn't overwhelmingly loud it didn't crush you it was loud you could feel the kick drum hit you in the chest you know and it projected and it sounded great but it was clear and it wasn't obnoxious and it was listenable and you could have a conversation, but it was rocking. You know, they played with great intensity, and the drummer was, you know, he was bashing away. I mean, Dom Howard was, he was 
bashing. You know, he was playing arena style, you know. There was no dynamics. He was playing full out every song. And it was really enjoyable, you know. The, 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 it was high energy. The band was great. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't overly loud or, or, or obnoxious, you know. And then uh, I had the opportunity to see Pretenders with Stevie Nicks uh, last month at the same venue. And uh, same thing. Uh, you know, two two bands, completely different style, right? Uh, Pretenders came out and rocked, and then Stevie came out and told stories and did you know did a great show. But same thing, it was both bands were high energy, loud but listenable, not obnoxiously loud, but you know, not to where you would say, "Man, I wish it wasn't quite this loud." So they do a really good job nowadays, I think, with the technology too of of not having to just crush you with the volume because you're right, everything is mic'd, and if you if you really you know if you're close enough to see it. Every single musician on those professional venue stages all have in ears. There's no yeah, I was there's no wedge you monitors, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Uh, both of those shows, did you see any wedge monitors at all? Pretenders had a couple, but I think it was more for them. They all had in ears in, but I but I noticed that they did have wedges, and they were you know the the bass player and the guitar player were moving them around with their foot, you know, to get it uh, in the position where they liked it. But they they had in ears in, so it was uh, maybe just doubled up, you know, and again, Martin Chambers, a drummer, he was behind the, a full plexiglass shield, you know, all the way around him, like completely surrounded. Um, and so was uh, Stevie Nicks drummer. He he was completely surrounded with the plexiglass as well. But like right. when I saw Muse, there was no plexiglass. They were in the round. It was the stage was in the middle of, you know, at Prudential Center. It's, it's where devils play hockey too, you know? So it's like they were in the middle of the rink, so to speak, dead center with, right. with their whole their whole rig but it was uh and those drummers are playing acoustic kits that are behind the plexiglass oh yeah they're playing acoustic kits um like i said like pretenders you know he played acoustic kit the whole the whole night so so the drummer for stevie nicks uh muse same thing now muse i noticed they have triggers and they have some other sounds that they put on the drums to mimic the sound of the cd and they did right you know they're quite efficient at doing that like it sounded killer it sounded like a record um you know, and there was no tapes, no tracks. They weren't playing sequencers. They were they were creating all the music, you know, live themselves, and it sounded killer. Nice. You know, I was watch. I was thinking about this recently because I was watching um, an Aerosmith concert on on uh, TV uh, last week, and it was I don't know what year it was filmed, but it had to be relatively recently, within the last seven or eight years, and it was in uh, God, I want to say Japan. Is Japan? Or oh China? yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, that was, was it. Japan? Yeah. yeah. And I was really yeah, watching mm-hmm. that whole stage show and the way everything was set up. And they definitely had um, wedges. They had wedges all over the place. And they had this big ramp that goes out into the crowd that, uh, you know, Stephen Tyler would go out and Joe Perry would go out sometimes. And he's got, you know, the wireless guitar. Uh, but I was really looking to see if these guys are wearing in-ears. I was looking at their ears. And I really didn't see anybody with in-ears. And then I looked on the stage and there's all these wedges all over. I'm like, okay, these guys are – they're old school, so they're they're probably – uh, more resistant to having you know, to changing, um, and the other really interesting thing that I noticed about that show was not only did they have wedges, but they had um, teleprompters set up all all over the stage, um, and they looked just like wedges from the other side, from the crowd point of view. Uh, but they were everywhere. There were a- anywhere Steven Tyler would go, and he would you know Steven Tyler. If you ever seen Aerosmith, he's all over the stage. Oh yeah, anywhere he would go. There was a teleprompter with the lyrics of the song, and it would scroll with him. You know, somebody was actually manually scrolling it because sometimes he would, 
embellish on things or delay or whatever. Um, so it was it was following him because they showed it on camera a lot, and I I thought how how interesting that was for people to understand that having like lyrics in front of you is not a crutch. It's it's professional. It's it's being it's having because he wasn't sitting there hovering over a teleprompter and reading. You know, it's just there for his reference in case he forgets a lyric or just to give him a, a play a, a point in the song where he is if he forgets because he's performing too. Um, but anybody out there that's that's doing gigs and you want to make sure that you know the lyrics, it's okay to have an iPad on your you know get the clip and put it on your mic stand and have the iPad with the lyrics as long as you're not just standing there reading and you're still performing. It's a good idea. It's a good thing to have because so, if a band like Aerosmith that's been around for this long and Steven, how many times has Steven Tyler's song Walk This Way or Sweet Emotion or any of those songs, um, you know, he still wants to have that reference right there so he can put on the best performance that he can. So I think that's really a, a, a good lesson to learn for anybody who performs live is to and any sort of thing that you need that will ensure that you can fulfill your obligation with your performance do it, you know, don't feel like it's, it's a, any sort of crutch to have lyrics in front of you or, or charts like we were talking about before, or, you know, anything else that will help you in, you know, aid you in your performance. I thought that was pretty cool. No, it's point well taken, you know, anything you can do to make it more professional and to make the show better and make the band sound the best it can be is, is valuable. Yeah. You know, and I mean, and they're really, you know, really made sure with the amount of, I wish I counted how many teleprompters were on that stage but there were so many of them they were just like at, at any place where he would stand like on the drum riser you know facing Tom Hamilton facing Joe Perry and then in front of the stage and out at the the end of the ramp and they're just everywhere it's so cool it must be great to be in a big band like Aerosmith huh well you know it's amazing too like any of these you know professional big touring acts you know where they have a ton of support you know behind them both you know from stage crew to road crew to, you know, the technicians for each instrument, you know, and it was interesting. I read an article again, it happened to be uh, Matt Bellamy from Muse. And he was saying that, you know, part of the reason that Muse sounds so good live is because they're all, all three of those guys, you know, bass, drums, guitar are all uh, very astute in audio and audio technology and mixing, you know, they're all studio engineer type mindsets where they actually go through and, you know, carve out the frequencies that the bass drum lives in, that the snare drum lives in, that the bass guitar lives in, that the guitar itself lives in, where his vocal sits. And then they tune their instruments or even pick their instruments based on them being able to fit into that frequency range so that they're not stepping on each other and everything has the proper room to breathe. Like the kick drum has its own space and has a ton of bottom and a ton of punch, but yet it does not muddy or interfere with the bass guitar in any right. way. You know, and it's, it's amazing when you hear it back, you know, having, you know, now knowing that and sharing that with you and, and everyone that's listening, um, you know, check it out. It makes a big difference that sonically, you know, those guys are a little ahead of the curve because they're all engineers, you know, so they all understand. And that was what a good point he made. You know, he said, if you're a drummer, you have to understand where the bass and guitar sit in relation to your drums. 
and how they all fit in the puzzle. You know, and as a guitar player, you need to know where the bass and the drums sit and then work, you know, within that uh, area, sonic realm, so to speak, you know, of the frequency so that you're it's crystal clear and it's fat, but it's not stepping on someone else's frequency, you know, and that takes a, you know, a lot of time to vet that out and perfect it, you know, and they've been doing it for, I think he said 10 years till they got it to where they were happy with it, you know, and I, and I will say that. Uh, they were one of, one of the best sounding, if not the best sounding live band I've seen in, in a, a you know a big thirty thousand seat arena, where right. it sounded like you were in a club, like it was intimate, it was fat, it just sounded great. And then you know, like I said, six months later, I read that article and I was like, wow, it makes makes sense. Right. But to your point, those are guys you know doing everything they can to perfect their sound and their show, and right. it really comes through, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. So um, I think we can probably wrap this up. But it, that's a good takeaway for this whole podcast is is about your sound and, and embracing technology and really working on things that are important to you as far as how you want it to sound for yourself and and how you want things to sound for uh, those who are listening. Let's say, uh, no, and no matter where you are, no matter what kind of gig you're playing, if you know whether it's a corner bar or uh, a theater or whatever, yeah, bring the best sound and the best equipment and the best attitude and the best version of you that you can bring, and you'll always have success. Yes, I like it. Well, good stuff, Tony. Uh, thank you once again for being a part of this whole thing. We're just getting started with doing this podcast um and we're going to be doing it weekly i hope oh and yeah i don't know i don't know what our plan is for next week but we will um start to bring in some interview guests and uh, i'm i got to talk to john about coming in maybe next week maybe we can do it for next week um if our schedules work out we're going to have john monica on the show and he's going to talk about all the stuff that he does with um with his uh, gigging, he gigs like six, six nights a week, and he does a live Facebook live streaming every time. So um, I'd like a lot of people to learn about that. I'll be doing a Facebook live on Cover Band Central on the page on Tuesday night at eight o'clock Central time. So that's nine o'clock Eastern, six o'clock Pacific. I'll be doing a Facebook live talking about doing Facebook live <laughs> and some points that uh, are good to know and good to learn and. Um, something you want to really kind of embrace and get on top of doing Facebook live because it's so beneficial for your career. So that being said, here it is until next week. Read the dirty. Uh Oh, I got to go to the thing. There it is. Yeah. Facebook.com slash cover band central. Awesome. Tony, you rock brother. You two would rather be good. Yes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 